Welcome to the For the Record podcast. I am your host, Wendy the Librarian, and this is episode eight. This month's book inspiration is Empire of Pain, The Secret History of the Sackler Dynasty, written by Patrick Radden Keefe. With that said, let's get on with the podcast. So here is a semi-brief synopsis of the book. It is on the jacket of the book. And I've actually never seen a synopsis quite as long, but here we go. The Sackler name adorns the walls of many storied institutions. Harvard, the Metropolitan Museum of Art, Oxford, the Louvre. They are one of the richest families in the world, known for their lavish donations to the arts and the sciences. The source of the family fortune was vague, however, until it emerged that the Sacklers were responsible for making and marketing a blockbuster painkiller that was the catalyst for the opioid crisis. Empire of Pain begins with the story of three doctor brothers, Raymond Mortimer and the incalculably energetic Arthur, who weathered the poverty of the Great Depression and appalling anti-Semitism. Working at a barbaric mental institution, Arthur saw a better way and conducted groundbreaking research into drug treatments. He also had a genius for marketing, especially for pharmaceuticals, and bought a small ad firm. Arthur devised the marketing for Valium and built the first great Sackler fortune. He purchased a drug manufacturer, Purdue Frederick, which would be run by Raymond and Mortimer. The brothers began collecting art and wives and grand residences in exotic locales. Their children and grandchildren grew up in luxury. Forty years later, Raymond's son Richard ran the family-owned Purdue. The template Arthur Sackler created to sell Valium, co-opting doctors, influencing the FDA, downplaying the drug's addictiveness, was employed to launch a far more potent product, OxyContin. The drug went on to generate some $35 billion in revenue and to launch a public health crisis in which hundreds of thousands would die. This is the saga of three generations of a single family and the mark they would leave on the world. A tale that moves from the bustling streets of early 20th century Brooklyn to the seaside palaces of Greenwich, Connecticut and Cap d'Antibes to the corridors of power in Washington, D.C. Empire of Pain chronicles the multiple investigations of the Sacklers and their company and the scorched earth legal tactics that the family has used to evade accountability. The history of the Sackler dynasty is rife with drama, Baroque personal lives, bitter disputes over estates, fistfights in boardrooms, glittering art collections, Machiavellian courtroom maneuvers, and the calculated use of money to burnish reputations and crush the less powerful. Empire of Pain is a masterpiece of narrative reporting, exhaustively documented and ferociously compelling. It is a portrait of the excess of America's second Gilded Age, a study of impunity among the super elite, and a relentless investigation of the naked greed and indifference to human suffering that built one of the world's great fortunes. So before I get into this podcast, I just want to wish myself and Bryant Library on the one year anniversary of For the Record. That's right. It launched one year ago this month. 
with the very first episode, which was Shuggy Bane. You can go back and listen to that one. I It was my first podcast episode, and I just absolutely loved it. I loved the music, and the book was just amazing. So anyway, uh, Empire of Pain. I don't know about you, but I could not put Empire of Pain down. It is a thick, it's pretty thick, it's a thick nonfiction book rife with eye-opening accounts of the family and how they basically reshaped the marketing of pharmaceuticals. To me, it read like fiction. I just wanted to find out more about this family and the genius of Arthur Sackler and how the family went on this unethical downward spiral. I was hooked from the first page, and the fact that the Sackler family have ties to Roslyn, New York was an added bonus. As you know, or, or maybe you don't know if you're joining us from outside of New York, Bryant Library is located in Roslyn, New York, which is in Nassau County, New York. The acute attention to detail was otherworldly, and the researcher in me would have loved to have been part of this process. Now, whether you believe or not that the Sacklers are complicit in this nation's opioid crisis, these are the facts. It is well documented that the Sacklers had some knowledge of what OxyContin was doing and how you could crush the pill and how people were abusing it. It is a fact that according to the CDC, Opioids, mainly synthetic opioids, are currently the main driver of drug overdose deaths. Apparently, 72.9% of opioid-involved overdose deaths involve synthetic opioids. And so, when you speak to people who've read this book, you'll most likely get different responses on who they think is to blame. Some will say that it's completely the Sackler's fault. Others will say that it's a government issue and that the FDA is at fault, as well as the doctors who prescribe these drugs willingly time and time and time again. Others might put the blame on the drug abuser and the pill mills and the drug dealers that capitalize on people's innocent addictions. Keefe has his own opinions. Let's see what they are. I should be clear, I, you know, I'm not a prohibitionist. Um, you know, if you, if you've read other work that I've done on, on the illegal drug business, I, you know, I, I tend not to think, I, te I tend to think that, uh, drug prohibition has a, a series of, um, unintended consequences as well. Uh, so, so the suggestion for me is actually not that they should have pulled the medicine from the shelves. I get notes even today from people who say I've been using Oxycontin for years. Um, it's a medicine I rely on. Um, the issue is more the marketing and that there were so many moments where they could have said, hey, let's, let's just slow it down or let's look really hard at these claims we're making. When we go out and tell doctors it's addictive less than 1% of the time or it can't be abused. And truly that could have been in the late nineties. It could have been after the company pled guilty to federal charges in 2007. And then after that expanded its sales force to kind of double down on the marketing of the drug. Um, you know, eventually you get the reformulation of the drug in 2010, but I think there's, there's a lot of agreement that that's, it's kind of too late at that point, that if they had reformulated earlier and made the drug harder to abuse, it might've made a difference. Uh, it, it seems worth pointing out that 
they don't reformulate until 2010 when by coincidence or maybe not, the patent on the original OxyContin is about to run out. Um, so it's fortuitous that suddenly they tweak it and reformulate in the interest supposedly of public safety, but get you know a new patent, a new series of patents. Um, I do think that, that you would have uh, many, 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 many people alive, families intact today that, uh, that are not, if the Sackler family specifically had made different choices at a, at a number of junctures along the way. You can find more of that conversation between Patrick Red and Keefe and Anand Jiridharadas on YouTube. And it is worthwhile to listen to it, especially if you were interested and you found this book incredibly compelling. Now, this isn't the first book written about the opioid epidemic. Painkiller, a wonder drug's Trail of Addiction and Death by Barry Meyer, which came out in 2003, was one of the first books to really cover the opioid epidemic. And it is a seminal book in the study of this. Another book is Dope Sick by Beth Macy, which was actually turned into a series. This book came out in 2018. However, Empire of Pain is the first book written about one specific family, the Sacklers, the inventors of OxyContin and previously Valium. The first song I am highlighting today is by the Rolling Stones and the song is Mother's Little Helper. They are a British rock band that formed in 1962. Unbelievable. Heavily influenced by blues, they have been around for over 50 years. No other band has that distinct feat. Named after a blues song by Muddy Waters, they have released over 50 albums. It's truly unreal what they have been able to accomplish. The song I'm highlighting here is Mother's Little Helper, which was released in 1966 and became a quick hit. This could very well be the first song ever dedicated to a pill, possibly diazepam or Valium, which of course, if you read the book, was the drug that started the Sacklers on their way to becoming uber wealthy. Mother's Little Helper was released in the UK on their fourth album, Aftermath, but in the States, it was released as a single. In Donald C. Miller's book, Coming of Age in Popular Culture, the song addresses the popularity of calming medications prescribed by doctors. The song specifically targets harried mothers and housewives who use the pill to get them through exhausting and stressful days dealing with raising children. Valium was approved for use in 1963 and became the country's most prescribed drug from 69 to 82. With that, let's take a listen to Mother's Little Helper by the Rolling Stones. Kids are different today, I hear every mother say, mother needs something today to The next song is by post-punk band The Fall, and the song is Roush Rumble. 
Legend has it that the singer of the fall, Mark E. Smith, once worked as a shipping clerk and came into contact with the Roche Pharmaceutical Company. As a shipping clerk, it seems like one day, because of a clerical issue, he acquired a supply of barbiturates, which he attempted to hide in and around Manchester. Now, sadly, it is well documented that Marky e. Smith had uh, struggled with alcohol and drug abuse throughout his life. The Fall is, a, as I said, The Fall is a post-punk band that was active from the late 70s till about 2016. Smith died in 2018 and basically kept working and touring up until his death. Now, if you remember in the book, Roche was a Swiss-owned pharmaceutical company that downplayed the highly addictive drug Librium, which was created by a chemist within their laboratories. Under the advertising tutelage of Arthur Sackler, who they hired to make this drug more appealing to the average consumer, they were able to get around FDA rules that specifically stipulated that you could not directly advertise to consumers. But leave it to Arthur Sackler to devise a way to get around this. So now let's take a listen to the 1979 song by The Fall, Roush Rumble. This is a groovy number. Oh! A rouse! Next song is Family by Willie Jones III. Willie Jones is a jazz drummer and has played with the likes of Roy Hargrove, Herbie Hancock, and Arturo Sandoval, among many others. His music is featured on the soundtrack Motherless Brooklyn. I picked this song because in the end, this Sackler drama, isn't it all about family? Regardless of how, well, kind of about family, it's about drugs too, but uh, regardless of how unscrupulous Arthur became and how the, you know, the following generation took it to a completely different level, one of the central themes of Arthur's life was what you could call, I guess, the love or protection of his brothers, albeit a little bit more like a dominant father than a brother, but, and in the end, I admired how he basically had his brother's backs at all times. So here is Family by Willie Jones III. Finally, Tempest Fujit, 
or Tempest Fugue It by the Miles Davis Sextet. I hope I'm pronouncing Tempest Fugit or Fugit correctly. I don't know. Um, the song is not actually a fugue in compositional form. Its title is a pun on the Latin phrase Tempus Fugit, meaning time flies. This song is a 1949 jazz composition written by Bud Powell and recorded by the Miles Davis Sextet. There are documentaries, movies about jazz artists' drug struggles, as well as countless articles on the toll drug and alcohol abuse took on jazz artists. From Chet Baker to Billie Holiday, Charlie Parker, Sonny Rollins, and Miles Davis, to name just a few. So I thought it was fitting to have Miles Davis sextet on the Spotify playlist. Let's take a listen to Tempest Fugit. I guess it's Fugit. I don't know. If you know, let me know. When you listen to the accompanying Spotify playlist, and you can find the link in the description section of the podcast, you'll be able to hear these songs. Codeine by Buffy St. Marie. She is an Indigenous Canadian-American singer who was the first Indigenous person in 1983 to win an Oscar for the song Up Where We Belong from the film An Officer and a Gentleman. The next song is Cold Turkey by John Lennon, which was, I believe, released in 1969, followed by Mother's Little Helper by the Rolling Stones, National Health by the Kinks, Roush Rumble by The Fall, Valiant Skies by The Verve, Pills by the New York Dolls, Under the Bridge by the Red Hot Chili Peppers, Tempest Fugit. I'm going to go with Fugit. I think it's Fugit. Tempest Fugit by the Miles Davis Sextet, Star Eyes by Charlie Parker and his orchestra. That's another artist that sadly, he died at the age of 34 from possibly an overdose. I can't recall at the moment, but either way, drugs just ravaged uh, Charlie Parker or Bird as he's commonly known. Next is Shake It Out by Florence and the Machine, followed by Vertigo, by Khaled, Rehab by Amy Winehouse, the famous rehab song where she is trying to not go to rehab because of her drug addiction. Next up is Good to Yourself by Life in Sweatpants, followed by Pain by the band The War on Drugs, just alone The War on Drugs, that name is fitting, 22 Over Soon by Bon Iver, Uh, Avril 14th by Aphex Twin, and that is the instrumental composition that you heard while I read the synopsis of Empire of Pain. And lastly, you'll hear Family by Willie Jones III, because in the end, this book was about the Sackler family. 
I hope you have enjoyed this episode of For the Record. And it is again, the one year anniversary of For the Record. Bravo and applause. <sighs> um, until next time, friends, have a good one. <laughs>